All right, January is a good time for a reset. It's a, a kind of a natural time of the year to evaluate how things are going and maybe what needs to change. And so lots of people have, have New Year's resolutions and things like that this time of year. And they tend to be focused on, on things on the outside. But uh, here's the question, you know, if you could change one thing about your life this year, what would you change? And maybe you'd, you know, spend less money and save more money. Maybe the one thing you'd want to change is you need a new, you want a new job or you want a promotion or, or you, you want to eat better or exercise more or whatever it might be. Um, what is the one thing? So we've been talking about that. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about how that one thing needs to go beyond behavior modification and needs to, to get to our character and so in Galatians 5, it says the fruit of the Spirit is not read your Bible, pray every day, and go to church. No, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, self-control. Like, like these, this is what needs to change because if we just go after behavior, then many times what happens is we just start swapping behavior, right? And so I, I met a guy at a funeral a little while back, and he's a young man in his 20s, and he told me after the funeral, we were outside, and he said, you know, I, he kind of called me over, like, to talk privately, and he said, you know, I, I kicked heroin. I said, well, that's great. How long has it been? How long have you been sober? He says, well, I haven't, I haven't done heroin in, like, two and a half, three years, something like that, and I'm like, that's fantastic, but I was a little confused because he's kind of out of it, and I'm like, so what's going on in your life now? And he's like, well, since then, I've been using meth, and I thought, is that better? I'm not sure. Is that, is that, no. So what he did is just swapped the one thing for something else. Why? Because there's something underneath. There's, there's, a, there's a hole or there's a, there's a weakness there that has never been addressed. And so we've seen that maybe in our own lives. If, if you've lived long enough, you've seen yourself do that. Seen that in other people's lives. Someone gives up hard drugs and they start smoking pot. They give up pot and they start drinking alcohol. They give up alcohol and they start smoking. They give up smoking and they start overeating. And, and it's just this constant revolving door because, because the character underneath hasn't been addressed. And so, so that's what God's word says is, you know, we, we need a, a character change. We need to change from the inside and then that will change the outside. And so whatever you want to change this year, back it up. And back it up and say, okay, so I want to eat better, but what is the change? Or I want to be a better uh, husband or parent or friend, and, and so I want to not, not run at my mouth so much. And so what's, what's the issue? Well, I need gentleness, or I need patience, or, or whatever that might be. But, but as we're talking about this, you know, the heart can be deceitful. And sometimes it's hard to diagnose what is it that I really need? What, what inside of me really needs to change? And so Jesus helps us out with that, with this, this teaching he has in the book of Luke. He says, this is how you diagnose where your heart is at and where it needs to be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so what do you spend your money on? What do you spend your time on? Because if whatever you spend in those two areas, your time and your money, will tell you what's important to you. And, you, you, you know, so, so if you, I say, boy, I spend a lot of time working, and why do you do that? Well, so I can have money, and why do you do that? So I can live, 
life is very important. <laughs> you know, my family is important, right? My time, wherever I do that. And so if, if the most important thing to you is security, then, then this will show that. And you're going to maybe save a lot of money because money can be a form of security. And maybe you'll have relationships that aren't necessarily healthy and good, but they're safe. And you feel secure in them. Someone else might say, boy, the most important thing to me is the approval of other people. And you'll see that in how they spend their money and how they spend their time. I'm going to wear these clothes. Why? Well, be, because I want, I want the approval of other people, and I'm going to be in these places, I'm going to do these things, and, I'm gonna, and it's going to be exhausting, like I'm going to have to do, because I want the approval of other people, or if someone maybe wants comfort, if comfort is their God, then you're going to see that in laziness and, and probably in a lack of courage and, and going down a path of, of easiness, and, and, and so what is it deep down that, that needs to change in your life, and, and how does that express itself through, through your money, through your time? Um, that can help you diagnose it. It's interesting, when the Bible talks about heaven, the streets are made of what? Gold. And I, I think that tells us that, yeah, heaven is a place where prosperity is everywhere, and, but I think even deeper than that, it shows us that the things that we value here on earth are not valuable in heaven. You know, if this table was made out of gold, it probably weigh as much as I do and be worth four and a half million dollars. And God looks at four and a half million dollars like that and he's like, hmm, pothole filler. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not what he values and it's not going to be what we value when, when we get to heaven. And, and so what, what if we treasured what God treasures most? And so what do we need to change? We need to change in our lives what God wants us to change in our lives. That's the most important thing. And, and there is one step even deeper than character. And so, right, you have the behavior, superficial, surface level, very important, but, but beneath that, even more important, character. You change the character, you'll change the behavior. If your behavior hasn't changed, your character hasn't changed. Right? But then even underneath character, there's something else that Jesus talks about, and it's love for God. It's like, why should I be patient? Why should I be gentle? Why should I be self-controlled? Why, why should I pursue love and peace? Because these are the character qualities of God. And if I love God, I love what he loves, and I want to be like my Lord and Savior. And so Jesus, Jesus gets to the heart of this, and this verse is a great verse to memorize, Matthew 22, 37, and 38, two verses, I guess. But um, he says, he replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. If you could do this, everything else would take care of itself. If everyone on earth would do this, almost every problem in the world would end like that immediately. Love God. But, but love Him how? With all your soul, mind, and heart. And, and that's the key. Someone recently, I don't know if it was you, but Matt, but someone recently said to me, you know, you talk about people who sit on the fence. Who owns the fence? Satan owns the fence. 
So, so he, Jesus is saying here, this is not love God a little bit. This is not sit on the fence and, and try to balance. God does not want your life to be balanced. Right? He wants you totally, radically, all in, you know, for him and loving him. And when you do that, the second command is love others, and we'll talk about that, but love God. And so when we talk about loving God, I think a question we need to answer is which God do we love? You might say, well, there's only one God, and that's true. But does that mean that everybody's idea of God is right? And this is just so important to understand. So there is only one Bob Kedlisic. That would be me. I think literally. I don't think there is an, you know... There's lots of Bob Smiths, but I think there may literally only be one Bob Kedlisic. But whether the, the, someone else has my name or not, the truth is I am unique, right? God took the mold and like, we're not using that one again, yeah? And, and all of us are unique. Even if you're an identical twin, do you know you have different fingerprints than your identical twin? So we're, we're all unique. And, and if you were talking to someone who, about me and they're like, oh, yeah, I love Bob Kedlisic, yeah. All the time, he, I love how he does this. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Yeah, you know, man's best friend, Bob Kedlisic, four legs, wags his tail. Be like, I don't think you say you know Bob, but everything you describe about him is not Bob. Uh, so I don't think you love Bob. You love a dog. And you say, oh, well, there are a lot in common. Two eyes, hair, tongue, teeth. We have so much in common. I mean, so little. But the things that are different between me and a dog are very important, you know? And, and so this is, this is the way many people are with God. My, my dad, earlier this week, he sent me, he saw this bumper sticker, um, and it said, God is too big for just one religion, that sounds on the surface of it very true, right? God is too, God is big. God is so big. Yeah, he's bigger than anything. He, he must be too big for one religion. But, but you know what? We have become in our culture a culture of meaningless slogans. And, and they sound really cool on the surface and they sound like, well, who could argue with that? But under any examination, they evaporate, and, and there's nothing to them. And there's a lot of them. You know, this weekend was the 50th National Right to Life March in Washington, D.C. It is the longest, uh, largest um, demonstration and gathering of people probably in the history of humanity, 50 years, over 100,000 people, year after year after year, gathering. And one of the, the slogans against pro-life position, you know, pro-abortion position, is my body, my choice. And you know what? Who can argue with that? I totally agree. My body, my choice. But that has nothing to do with the issue because it's not your body, it's a baby's body. And the baby is different from your body. And so it's not your choice. So the, the slogan really doesn't advance the conversation at all. It doesn't, it doesn't explain anything. It doesn't, it's just a meaningless thing you throw at other people. In fact, uh, during COVID, a bunch of people took that slogan and used it for masks. I'm not going to wear a mask. My body, my choice. 
Well, my body, my that doesn't really have anything to do with microscopic water droplets in the air. That you, you know, it's just it's just a slogan. It's shallow. You use it to throw at somebody and say, "I own them, man. I I made them look stupid." And you know, love is love. It's another slogan like that. Well, what does that mean? Well, what they're meaning by it is sex is sex. Or sexual intimacy is sexual intimacy. Is that true? Yeah, sexual intimacy is sexual intimacy. But what does that have to do with anything? But it just doesn't sound as cool. as Love, love is very different than sexual intimacy. You can love and not have sexual, right? right? I mean, it's just, and so it's just a slogan and it's just, and this is one of those slogans. And, and I think one of the great, I, I shared this three years ago. So if some of you remember this illustration from three years ago, God bless you. Um, but I want to share it again because it so fittingly summarizes this position. This is a story of a lot of people who would believe this. God is too big for one religion. They, they would say, yeah, this is exactly the point. It's the story of the six blind men and the elephant. I don't know if you've heard that story. And it's summarized really well by a famous poet, British poet, John Godfrey Sachs in 1873. And he wrote this poem, and since reading poems is boring to all but the very cultured, so probably not this crowd. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the poem, and I'm going to read it totally the wrong way, okay? So if you read poems, you're never supposed to read them like this. da 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 right? You're, you're not supposed to do it at that cadence. I'm going to do it at that cadence because I want to get your attention because I want you to fill in the blank. You got you to finish the rhyme, all right, as I read. So it was six men of Indistan to learning much inclined that went to see an elephant, though all of them were blind, to each, that each by observation, observation might satisfy his mind. So the first approached the elephant and happening to fall on his broad and sturdy side at once began to bawl, God bless me, but the elephant is very like a wall. Okay, now you know how to play the game. The answer is wall. Okay, the second feeling the tusk cried, Ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp. To me, tis very clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. spear. Excellent. I actually could hear Allie. That's good. All right, the third approached the animal and happening to take the squirming trunk with his hands, thus boldly up he spake. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. snake. Good job. All right, two left. The fourth reached out an eager hand and felt about the knee. What the most wondrous beast is very plain, quoth he. Tis clear enough the elephant is very like a tree. tree. I've always thought that was the hardest one, but all right. The fifth, who chanced to touch the ear, said, Even the blindest man can tell what resembles most. Deny the fact, who can? This marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. fan. We're, we're dying. <laughs> All right, come on, you can do this. Can, fan. All right, last one. The sixth, no sooner had begun about the beast to grope than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within a scope. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a, a rope. There we go. And so... So I finished the poem. These men of Indistan disputed long and loud, each in his own opinion, and exceedingly stiff and strong. Though each was partly in the right, they all were in the wrong. And that's a very important line to understand what this philosophy 
means. So often theologic wars, the disputants I ween, rail on in utter ignorance of what each other mean and prayed about an elephant none of them have seen. And so this is a picture of all the world's religions and how every religion is right. You know, some may see the wall and Muhammad, he sees the tusk and and, and, you know, Moses, he sees the trunk, and Jesus, he sees the, the ear or whatever, and they're, they're all partly true, and, and can't we just all get along and just realize that it is one God that we all worship? Isn't that a great illustration? Here's the problem with that illustration, is, is it sounds generous, it sounds kind, it sounds humble. Aren't we supposed to be humble? It sounds humble to say, everybody's right. You know, let's not be so narrow-minded. Let's be broad-minded. But it's actually nothing of the sort. It's actually not a broad-minded truth because he says, yeah, they all were in the right, you know, a little bit right. It says they were partly in the right, but actually they're all wrong. And so this is not a generous, humble perspective. This is someone who comes along and says, you know, Moses, hack, amateur, blind man. He couldn't see anything, but I see. I see where Moses was wrong. I see how Moses only got a little piece, but Moses overall, blind man. I, though, on the other hand, I can see. He was totally wrong. Well, mostly wrong, but I'm all right. And then Muhammad. Oh, Muhammad, yeah. Towering figure. Tiny figure compared to me, blind man compared to me. I see clearly Jesus, Jesus, yeah. You, you know, he, he was blind too. He couldn't see, not like me. I can see better than Jesus, Moses, Buddha, Muhammad, all of them put together. I see better. I see more clearly. I know what's right, and they were all wrong. Now it doesn't sound so generous. You know, describing, you know, who God is, is very important to God. And I would take offense if you go tell people that I got four legs. Okay, my basketball coach would call me, tell me that. But he was a nice old guy. He was just talking about how I couldn't catch. So, you know, but, but you know, I would be offended. Like, no, that's not me. I don't have four legs. I don't go, except right now. Like, this is the only time I've ever done, you know, like, I, I don't have a tail. I don't wag it. I'm not, I'm not completely covered in fur. Like, that's not who I am. And God is up in heaven, and, and if Islam is right, Jesus is wrong. And if Buddha is right, Muhammad and Jesus and Moses are wrong, right? We can't all, and for someone, so what these people do is they come along and they say, I'm making up a new religion, a religion where I know better than all the billions and billions of people that have come before and believe something different. I think they're all a bunch of blind people, but in the way they present it, you present it in a slogan and they sound humble and, and, but, but so this is the question. What, love the Lord your God, what Lord your God was Jesus referring to? He was not referring to the God of my own experience. This is the most popular God in America today. 
the God of your own mind and your own experience, and you know you're worshiping that God, if your God always agrees with you and always thinks like you think. But Jesus is not saying worship your own God. He's saying, in fact, in all his teaching, he's, he says in Matthew chapter 5, earlier in this, in this chapter before, before Matthew 22, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, not one letter or piece of a letter will pass away from the law, from the Old Testament, until all of it is fulfilled. Jesus believed in the God of the Bible. He said, I didn't come to abolish the Bible, the law, as it was called back then. He says, I've come to fulfill it. He's like, I, I am the God of the Bible. I, in the beginning was the Word. That's me. And there is no contradiction between Jesus and this. And I, I, I personally believe, and whether you, you know, there's people every week, um, you know, that you're not ready to, to believe in the God of the Bible, not ready to follow that God, and that's totally fine. But just from my decades of study, I have not found any other religious belief with the scientific, historical, experiential, you know, on and on evidence that he's the real God. And that's the God we need to love with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is why what, pa what Josh Edwards said last Sunday, talking about how, how the Bible is our map and it's our compass, and this is, this is, that's why it's so important, because outside of the Bible, if I didn't have the Bible, the God I worship would be very different than the true God, and he would be suspiciously a lot like me, <laughs> you know. And boy, it's really, it's really easy to have a God that's just like you. You're always right. And even when you're wrong, you know, you fall short of your own standard, but God understands because he's like you. And that's not the God we serve. The God we serve is, is a different God and a God that asks hard things of us and a God that is countercultural. And, and, and that's the God we need to love completely and wholeheartedly. And the, the, the longer we go, the more our culture I see is just running away from that God and, and the more we're going to stick out and the more people are going to say, you're the bad one, you're the blind man, you're the idiot, you're the, and, and you know what, I'm, we got to be okay with that. We got to be okay with the fact that other people, that, that what God thinks and my love for him is more important than what other people think and their love for me. But if we love God, it says the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. If you're not loving your neighbor, you're not loving God. If you love God, you will love your neighbor. And they had all these debates back then about who is my neighbor? Because they didn't, they, they really wanted it to be as narrow as possible. Like, I don't want to love, I don't want to love Mike. Are you kidding me? Well, maybe after he's a good cook. I'll love Mike, but Matt, I mean, you know, you know, and they wanted to pick and choose who they love. And, and Jesus, in all of his stories, he would, he would talk about this and say, no, love your neighbor means love any human being that is in front of you, even if it's your enemy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love others. And so he told a lot of stories about this, and this is one of those stories. He says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? 
And then when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home and he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I mean, I don't know, how many of you have had livestock? You've helped raise livestock when you were a kid or, yeah, that's kind of going away. But those of you who have had livestock, okay, first of all, the math of this, as someone who doesn't raise livestock, it doesn't seem to work. You are abandoning 99 perfectly healthy, good animals to go after one that's out there some way that you may or may not find. If any of you have gone looking for your animals when they've escaped, good luck, right? Usually it's a tip. You know, someone's like, I just saw your cow on the corner of, you know, and you're like, quick, you want to get out there, and then it's not there, and you're like, now where'd he go? Um, there is a, Joe Kilsuski, I remember he was saying, there is a chicken wandering in his woods for months. He's like, I don't know how nothing kills that thing. Somebody's chicken, you know, just got away. You know, and, and so there's no promise you're going to find him, and you're abandoning 99. Although they're pretty safe. Are they absolutely safe? They're 99% safe. Here's one of the things we need to understand about loving other people. It's never safe to love other people. There's always an element of risk that they could hurt you, that you could get hurt in helping them. Love takes risks, including leaving the 99. And you know, you're going after the one and you might be thinking, well, he deserves to be lost. Some of you have had livestock before. How many of you had a jailbreak in individual, right? right? Not all cows, most cows, they're all pretty stupid, but most of them, they will just do whatever they're told, you know, and they'll just follow and you ring the bell and they come and, you, you know, and they go, you open the doors and they go and they, but every so often, there's one that's got a mind of his own and he will, he will break through that fence and, and then the others just follow him. Then you got this huge problem on your hands. I remember Pastor Brett talking about it. He had one of those kind of cows. And you, the faster it made it to the dinner table, the better for everybody, right? And sheep are like that. Goats, I'd say almost all goats are like that. Goats are not good, okay? They love to escape and they eat everything, you know? Um, but, but, you know, so, so you're thinking, like, leave the 99 and go after that guy? Like, are you kidding me? Like, he's just going to run away again. I was thinking of this recently with a certain individual interacting with, in Proverbs it says, rescue an angry man and you'll have to do it again. You know, and, and sometimes you're just like, I'm just sticking with the 99. You, you, you know, you go. You want to go, you go. That's not the heart of God. And the truth is, we don't have 99 in the pen here this morning. You know, comparatively, if there's 100 people, we have like nine, maybe. 91 are out in the field, lost in the woods. And they are literally getting hunted down and killed. And, and the heart of God is to go. He says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need 
to repent. I'm going to tell you a true story. You're going to think I'm exaggerating and lying, but this is true. Everything I'm telling you is true, okay? Almost 30 years ago, I sang in front of a crowd at Madison Square Garden of over 15,000 people. And as we finished our first song, 15,000 people stood to their, to their feet and started to cheer. Not only was I singing, but I was singing with four other men. One of them was Pastor Brett. This sounds like a tall tale. We were singing the Star Spangled Banner before the New York Knicks game. And they were cheering, not because they liked our singing, but because we were almost done. <laughs> and they were cheering for the Knicks to come out and take to the court, right? And, and all that to say, they weren't cheering for me or anybody I, I was with, but to have 15,000 people, the seats 19,000, not sure how many were there, I don't think it was sold out, but I think it was over 15,000, to have 15,000 people stand to their feet all around you and begin to cheer. There's a roar. It was thrilling. And I'm telling you, though, that is nothing compared to the rejoicing in heaven that happened this last week when Chloe and Atticus accepted Christ as their Savior. I'm telling you, there was rejoicing in the Estes family and in the Van Gorder family, and there was rejoicing in, in our pastoral staff meeting as we talk about that decision that they made, and there's rejoicing by 1,500, 1,800 people, however many have come to Bridgewater this morning, you know, all, at all of our campuses, and, 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 but all that rejoicing is nothing compared to how heaven rejoiced over you. And, and nobody looked there. She's a teenager. She doesn't want you to look at her, probably. I didn't think of that. Forget those things. But what greater purpose could you live your life for than to love God and love other people? What, what could possibly come close to that? This is what we need to take away. What do I need to remove so I can love God and others better? Do you ever feel like, oh, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should reach out to that person. Maybe I should give them a call. Maybe I should have this awkward social conversation, but I should go and do that. Or maybe I should, um, you know, bake some cookies and take it next door. Or maybe I should, but you do something else instead. What is that something else? and get rid of it? Or, or what do I need to add so I can love God and others better? I you know, have a list of things that we do to maybe help you love God and love others better. Um, we do a, a survey every November where everyone 12 and above fills out on a piece of paper in, in the auditorium and online as well. The results of in the room and online are, are, are pretty much the same. About half of us here don't go to a small group. And, and I'm telling you, you are in luck. Next Sunday, starting point, this was the first Sunday and in the cafe room for starting point, and next Sunday at 1045, you can jump in. If you're not part of a small group, just go through, as Nick calls it, the common room. I would call it the lobby, but whatever. You need to go through that room and right in that, the cafe room, right next to the cafe. Just introduce yourself. Why? Because I think it'll help you love other people better. 
by getting to know other people that are following Jesus so that you can pray for each other. Had a, had a woman tell me this last Wednesday in their small group, she said there was 12 or 13 of us women there, and she said, and there are 13 women with problems and burdens. And she said, and everybody's hurting, and yet I go home so encouraged. How does that make sense? But that's what God wants, you know, because as we serve and reach out and love other people, then, then we're filled with love from them or from God at the same time. And, and so get involved in a small group. Starting point, if you're not already, next, next Sunday, over one in four of those of you who are here or are watching online, you've never been baptized. Do you love God enough to do that? You say, oh, that's just for kids. Every baptism in the Bible was of an adult. How old was Jesus when he was baptized? 30? I remember baptizing a woman last year. She passed away, Claire. She was 104. I baptized her when she was 92 with her son, Jim. You know, and that shows if you get baptized, you will have at least 10 more years. No, that's not, that's not true. It's not how it works. But um, maybe you want to serve. Maybe you invite a neighbor over for dinner. Maybe, maybe prayer. Maybe, maybe that's how you can love God more and love other people more is by, by being more intentional in prayer. Every Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, there's just a few people. They meet in the cafe room from 8 to 8.45 and they pray together. Come. If you're a dude, okay, if you're a guy, 6 to 7 a.m. At, at the uh, church offices, 107 Church Street, we meet every Wednesday morning from 6 to 7 a.m. and pray then. Come, there's about 10 guys uh, on average. And just be a part of that. I mean, this last, this last Wednesday, we had one guy who came in late. Filthy dirty from the oil field. But we're guys. We don't care. <laughs> right? We're so glad to see him. How... Can you love God? That's what the change God wants in you this year, more than anything else, is to love him more and then love other people. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that uh, you loved us first. And I just thank you for, for sending Jesus to, to model what it looks like to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. God, I just pray that, that every single individual here would, would not be sensible, would not uh, be balanced in their life at all. God, help us to love you radically, wholeheartedly. And, and out of that love, help us to love other people that you've put around us, people that aren't like us, people maybe that don't like us, but you've called us to love. Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing in this congregation. I just thank you for story after story of people's lives being changed, the discouraged being encouraged, the broken being uplifted. Um, God, this world is becoming so evil. It's so discouraging. But God, I know you're on the move. And you're changing us from the, God changes from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray.